Welcome to The John Chapman Show, where we talk about the path of a wealthy millennial, uncovering the truth about building and protecting your nest egg. Join us on this journey as we hear the stories of millennials and mentors alike to help you plan, manage, and protect your wealth. John is an employee of WorthPoint LLC. All opinions expressed by John and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of WorthPoint. This podcast should not be relied upon for investment decisions and is for informational purposes only. Hey everyone, John Chapman. Today's guest is Morgan Smith. He's a fellow financial advisor and colleague of mine at WorthPoint. And today we get into some heavy discussion around how to deal with elderly parents, how to address them as they're aging, how to deal with settling an estate. And no doubt today's conversation gets heavy. So if you're up for it, join us on this conversation. It's extremely important that that for many of us that we take a proactive approach and be vigilant about dealing with our parents' health decline and eventual uh, implications on the estate and any financial or tax responsibilities. So there's a ton of great information in here. So saddle up and enjoy this conversation with my colleague, Morgan Smith. Hey, Morgan Smith, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing great, John. My pleasure. Well, I'm excited to have you here, and I want to talk specifically today about something that you've been really involved in as a fellow financial advisor, and that is working with a community of folks that are dealing with elderly parents and adult children. And I love the phrase that you've coined, which is generation squeeze. So my hope today is to share with our listeners a little bit about some of the unique dynamics, both family-wise and financially, for folks that are maybe in their 40s or 50s dealing with uh, the squeeze from parents and children. So before we dive too far into that, Morgan, Give us a little bit about your background as a financial advisor, and uh, later I want to move into a little bit of your story. About 15 years ago, I decided to become a financial advisor. After working in the corporate world, and it was not very personable. So I got into the financial advisory world as an advisor about 15 years ago. Uh, I just enjoy working with people. Uh, I realize as a financial advisor, you need to have the the logical numbers aspect of it and the ability to analyze things, but you also have to have the emotional intelligence to peel back the onion with people and really find out what's going on with them. And I'm just happy to find a place where I'm in a fee-only fiduciary environment, and I think it's the best thing for my clients. Yeah, that's awesome. And so there's lots of different ways that financial advisors can serve clients. And there's certainly lots of groups and it's common now to talk about niches, but you, you have a unique experience with your background with just with your family. So would you mind sharing with the listeners a little bit about what you specifically have gone through in your personal life in, um, you know, the last five or 10 years or so? Yeah, so then that's a good point about niches. Uh, no matter what business you're in or what you're doing in life, a lot of people say, well, you got to go out and, and find that niche or that thing. And I think what I've experienced in my life, you can push that, but if you do good work, that niche comes to you. Mm. And, and it, it can kind of develop naturally. 
I've done had the good fortune of doing a lot of things in my life, and a lot of people said, "Well, you should write about this or write about that," and I just felt it was a little too self-serving, and I wanted to have a message that I could really help people with. So I, in the last six years, I went through and experienced my father uh, having dementia, and he ultimately passed away due to the complications of dementia. And working through all those issues uh, as a son, a brother to my sister, not only son to my father, but my mom and the family dynamics and and all the things that happened there. And then uh, recently, about a year ago, my my mother passed away Mm. from lung cancer. Mm. And so, again, I went through this with a different perspective, a different, I guess, role. Uh, I also ended up having to settle the estate and work through these things. And these are also issues uh, that I'm dealing with with clients who are going through the same thing. So I just realized as I was going through, you know, when you buy a, <clears throat> I don't know, you may buy a, a car, or a red car that you think is really unique and nobody's got it. And then you, you buy it and you see everyone's got that same red car, right? Yeah, that's that the buy. only thing you see on the road after that point. Exactly. So it's kind of the same thing when you're going through this, uh, you realize you just, you meet, you know, that's the way the universe works. It brings people to you at that moment. And I met a lot of people that were going through the same thing and they, they were lost. They Mm. didn't have the resources. Mm. And so I thought it would be a, a gift to document my experiences to help people out both in a uh, a written format and, and through a podcast. Mm. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And I want to acknowledge, I can't imagine what you've gone through. I'm sorry for the, the loss, especially recently of your, of your mother. But um, I'm, I, I feel as if you've got, uh, again, an, empower, an impactful story. <clears throat> and um, it's really neat that you're willing to share that and then hopefully help other folks and guiding them through their journey, wherever stage that they're in. So Part of today, I hope to get to a little bit about what 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 the others in in that similar situation can maybe do. But again, before we do, just peeling back a little bit more about your situation, can I ask how old was your dad when he started to develop dementia and show signs of uh, of uh, cognitive loss? All right, so I'll have to do some math here. <laughs> um, but let's see, seventy. 80. So he was in his late seventies. He was in his late seventies. Okay. Yes. And so up until that time, how, how intimate was your relationship with him in terms of talking about his healthcare situation or his financial situation? Well, I was one of the lucky ones. I, I had a great father and a great relationship with him. Mm. Uh, he, he was a former Navy pilot and, uh, ended up, retiring after being a general contractor. And now that with regard to health and our conversations about health, what really started, I think broke the dam on that conversation was uh, in the nineties, my mom had a stroke Mm. and show she was disabled Mm. and she could get around, um, but you know, half of her body was, it was difficult for her, for her to move it. And, and, Bottom line was my dad had to step up to the plate and they, they 
found a new way to work together and and that was a wake-up call for me and, and opened the door for me to have more conversations about health and everything. My father, he knew it before anybody else. <laughs> and people with dementia, they, they want to, they, they, they create a whole bunch of little daily mental tricks to get through their day and, and try and, for lack of a better word, fool people that anything's wrong, just mm. to try and make sure people don't uh, get too worried about them. And he would, write notes and stuff. But there was a point where he realized he needed to say, Hey, look, I've got a problem. And we were watching it as well. So that makes me think a little bit about an estate planning aside. So uh, up until that point, how secure or not do you feel as if your, your, your parents were at uh, getting documents like an advanced healthcare directive or setting up a trust or a will? Are you familiar with what their estate looked like prior to him really starting to lose his memory? Yeah. So being a financial advisor, we are, and you and I were attuned to those things. And I knew the estate planning attorney um, that they were working with. Um, I've actually worked with him professionally and uh, I went through their t- trust and I made sure, made sure I had all the documents. And so I, yes, the short answer is yes. I was familiar with it. And uh, what I learned and, you know, we talk about this later if needed, but what's, it's, it's one thing to have the trust in place, but you really got to understand and, and, and have access to things like durable power of attorneys for healthcare directives and, and, and these kinds of things. Cause at any moment, you need to make a phone call and you don't want the other person on the other end of the line saying, well, who are you and you know, what's your relationship? So, but uh, yeah, he had things in place and uh, at what point did I was you, aware of him. At what point did you have to get more involved? So as he was, you said, you know, early on he was maybe the first to know and, there was maybe some tricks that he was playing or writing notes or ways for him to keep up. But tell us a little bit about at what point did the, the tables turn to the point where you were having to get more involved either on a daily or weekly basis? So my mother at one point took over all the bill paying and, and, and the administrative items at the house. And when my father had passed away and my mother was now experiencing a decline, I had to go ahead and interject myself there. But you always have these moments. And the moment I remember is that moment where I realized I was going to have to take the keys to my dad's car. And oh, that's a big be thing chills. because, yeah, the, the people, their car represents freedom. Yeah. And uh, when you at any stage in life, really, you don't want anybody to take and be taking away your, your freedoms. And I was really worried about it. Um, I thought when I went to talk to him about it, that he was going to get upset and there'd be a fight and I'd, I'd have to steal the keys and do all that. But he just kind of looked at me and said, okay, son, uh, you know, I, I understand. And then, um, about five minutes later, he goes, taking away my car is like, taken away. You can't do that. But I understand, you know, he, the, the, the father that I know, the, 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 uh, yeah. the old school tough guy with a, a soft heart came out, but that was, that was a big moment. And then the next moment was 
when I had to come to my mom, who's tough as nails, I had to say, Hey mom, this is too much for you. You can't be bathing him and stuff. And we had to make a decision. And, yeah. um, and I kind of led that decision to put him in a, uh, assisted living facility. Yeah, I see. Okay. Well, if I'm now, this is certainly an intimate topic again. I appreciate you sharing. It's stirring in me some memories of uh, my dad's mom who had dementia for, you know, lived in assisted living home for almost seven years. And I was still a young person at the time. I, I don't know if I fully understood everything was happening, but it starts stirring some of those memories. So one of the things I wanted to ask you again, in in hopes of sharing with the audience, um, our focus for financial advisors can be on some of the more technical aspects, but we need to address the emotional aspect. No doubt, this would have had a dramatic and significant impact on you. Were you shell shocked in the moment, or were you aware of your own emotions at the time? Talk to us a little bit about how you had to go through like an emotional healing process through this. Well, this is a, 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 the, what I start my book out with. I, I think there's a lot of people talking about, like you said, the, the trust, the investments and stuff like that, but in, in your parents. But what's most important is you. <laughs> you have to have the tools within yourself to deal with the deepest significant emotions that you may ever go through in your life. Hmm. You're talking about the, the eventual decline, the, the decline in the eventual, eventual death of your parent. And so you need to self-reflect as you enter this and make sure that you have the tools to be able to manage those things, whether it be friends, exercise, your spiritual practice and things like that. Thankfully, um, I've done years of meditation and insight training and things like that. And I was probably more prepared than most. At the same token, um, there were some very significant and sad times that I, I, I had to take a, a, a break. Yeah, certainly. How best can people support those that are going through that process? So let's say on the one hand, as you were going through it, what was the kind of support that you had desired? Or maybe another way to say it, if you're dealing with a client, what's the best way that, uh, that, that, that you can either offer support or point them towards some type of support? Everybody is going to be different. That is the challenge. There's not one pearl that's going to uh, be good for everybody. So in my case, I just wanted to, I was, my mindset was, okay, let me focus and get it done. And I'm here. What I would say is probably the best support is maybe reading a book, <laughs> talking to other people who have been through it, which is exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. But I, I think it's because you don't know what you don't know. And so thinking about it a little more, what you said, probably the, the best thing to do is to educate yourself because the more you can be prepared the lower the stress is going to be on you. And there are going to be moments where you're very stressed, busy with your life, trying to take care of your parents, trying to take care of your kids. And um, you've got to have a way to, to reduce that stress somehow. I want to fast forward a few years then. 
after the time in which your father had passed away and right up until the point that right essentially right after your mother also passed away and talking about the idea of settling in a state that's one of those things that maybe like you know what obviously one of the only times you ever do that activity in life. And so uh, without any type of repetition, it might be difficult to have any sense of knowledge of what that involves. So can you tell us a little bit first from the personal side and then from the financial advisor side, I'm interested to share with people the idea of having to settle an estate and some of the things that are involved in that process. Well, I think one of the, the most significant things that a lot of people have to deal with are, you know, this idea that there's dysfunction amongst siblings in every family (laughs) to what extent is based on the family. So the first thing is really kind of figuring out who the, who's in charge. Um, A lot of, uh, a lot of families and a lot of siblings may, may want to go in and say, well, hey, I, I want to make this decision and, and try and make people feel guilty or bad about what's going on. But at the end of the day, if, if your parents had devised a, a good trust, they would have named a successor trustee. And it's very clear in black and white that either, you know, one of the siblings that they think is responsible and, and knowledgeable and is able to do things has their head on their shoulders, or that you've got a, a a private fiduciary who's a successor trustee. So one of the first things I think is really getting that successor trustee together with the family and saying, Hey, look, your parents wanted me to be in charge and that's the way it's going to be. And there's, there's, there's no argument about it. And quite frankly, if they wanted to argue about it, uh, they could go to court, of course, and do that. So that's a big thing. I, I had the good fortune of uh, me and my sister are great friends, and she's wise, and she helped me, and so it worked out very good. But family dynamics, and it's not just siblings, it's uncles and aunts, and that's something that needs to be abre- addressed initially. And the line of demarcation on who's making decisions and um, administering the trust has to be very clear. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. So I want to make sure to define this too. And the idea of a successor trustee for those that may not understand fully what that means. The easiest way to understand, like you were saying, would be to to name the children. So if parents are passing away, I'm just going to pick, let's say, on the eldest child in that in that generation to be the person responsible for dealing with paperwork, understanding if there's real estate or investments there, and then distributing that per you know the desire of the parents. But you bring up an important point that that isn't sometimes that is not that necessarily a family member within the children generation. So can you tell people very briefly about the idea of a private fiduciary or a corporate trustee? Who is that person and what is their role? You could be appointed as a successor trustee, meaning your parent passes away and now you have to administer and and resolve the estate. And I will say for sure, um, I would not recommend doing this without the counsel of an estate planning attorney and a CPA because there's tax implications and uh, estate law and, and things like that. So um, back to your point, 
let's say I was appointed as successor trustee. That's fine. I, I'm professionally knowledgeable. I'm, I'm capable of doing it. I was geographically close. All of these things that you want to happen. But I could have easily been on vacation or maybe I was assigned overseas on a job. Maybe I got very ill. Maybe somebody in my immediate family, my wife or my child was very ill. Maybe I, I was having some problems and I just wasn't mentally capable of doing it. So those are always very real possibilities. And so in order to avoid that, the risk of, of somebody not being able to do it, even though you wanted them to, is you assign a professional, for example, private fiduciary. And that's somebody who um, does this for a living. They have a staff. And no matter what family member is there or not there, uh, you know that the trust is going to be settled. And so that that takes care of that issue. Okay. And so, and then part of their job duties would be things like uh, filing tax, <clears throat> tax returns or um, gathering investment statements and uh, assigning the, the, those investments over whatever the ratio is. So tell us a little bit again, too, what some of the services that they may do and, and how long is the private fiduciary involved in that family? Is that a one-year deal or is, can it go on for many years after? So essentially, you can assign a private fiduciary within the language of a trust. And by the way, you could have a co-fiduciary. So, I mean, let's say you you thought things were going to be okay with a family member, a son or a daughter taking over their duties, but just in case, have a co-fiduciary there as a private fiduciary. And they're assigned there, and they they're just in writing, and and they almost kind of don't exist in your life until that moment that your last parent passes away, mm-hmm. and then at that moment they spring forth (laughs) and they're going to do inventory of the assets. They'll uh, make sure assets are distributed accordingly uh, with regards to the language of the trust. They can, uh, and inventorying the assets mean, meaning what's in the accounts, how much is in the bank account. If maybe there's home, uh, let's say there's a primary home, making sure the bills are paid until the home, is, is liquidated or transferred. And there are still, you know, accounting and, and CPA duties too. So a private fiduciary will not file taxes unless they are trustee and they can file on behalf. Uh, but again, you probably want the involvement of a CPA for the actual tax calculations and things like that. So, yeah, I see. Well, another aspect of this that I'm thinking about as we're moving through and just using your situation as an example would be inheritance. And without sharing exactly what your family situation was, let's just pretend for for folks listening, if there is some asset, maybe that's a home or at the very least some type of a bank account, Thinking about the emotional side, you know, at this point, you've had a professional career for a few decades. You have your own assets and an emotional connection to those assets. How is that different from then how somebody is going to view 
or interact with the assets they may receive from their parents. Talk to me a little bit about what that emotional connection is with those assets versus your personal assets. That's a very important question. And I just wrote an, uh, an article on this and I talk about it in my book. A lot of people build their wealth through assets that are difficult to manage and mean? difficult to split up. So for example, a business, real estate. So let's, let's keep it to real estate. Let's say your parents owned a home. It's somewhat, it can be expensive to maintain, pay taxes on real estate taxes. The big issue is if you've got a parent with three kids, you can't take a chainsaw and just chop that home in, in three pieces and go right here. It doesn't you go could. into thirds really easily, does it? Yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be good. You get the living so room not, and I get the family room. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So uh, you can have the, uh, the mirror and I'll take the couch, but yeah, that, that doesn't work. So, and, uh, and I'll tell you about my case. We, we had a family home that I grew up on and what do you do with it? My, my, I have a sister and thankfully she was of the mindset that she didn't want to live there. She loved the home and she wanted to see my family and my, my young son grow up in the house I grew up in. But so usually the house that is that somebody grows up in, that's going to be a very emotional asset. There's going to be maybe one sibling who could care less, and maybe there's two siblings that are going to fight to get it. Yeah. The issue is if it's split equally amongst the children, the the person who wants to keep it has has to have enough cash to compensate the other siblings for their share of the home. And in places like California, for example, where real estate prices have shut up very high over the decades, it, it's really difficult for uh, children to do that. And that's why you know, having a life insurance uh, to provide liquidity for the kids in those instances, I think is 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 a higher level of importance. So the other issue you come up with is more liquid assets like investments and things like that. The biggest issue there for me, it's very easy to split those things up. That's why I think it's a great asset to set up as a parent to pass to your kids. But that whole thing I know you've touched on is this idea of immediate wealth. Second generations are the best at you know destroying wealth and Right. Um, it's really important to have some professional management uh, uh, with that. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate you sharing some of that. And certainly there's a lot that I hope to get to. And maybe as a teaser, Morgan, we should talk about some of the different stages where our audience may be. Maybe they're in the stage where they their parents are in their late 70s and they're just starting to see cognitive decline. Or maybe there are listeners out there where they're in the heat of the moment as their, their parents are, are ill with, with cancer or dementia. Or, or even folks that may be just after the fact, uh, parents 
parents have passed away and they're left with an estate and unsure of what to do. So those uh, three potential audiences out there, I think we should dive deeper into each of them and we can do some more segments on it. But um, talk to me about first some of the resources, uh, ways that people can get in touch with you or things that you think they should be um, looking at or starting to do at, at this point, depending on wherever their journey is. What are some of the best tools or resources for them now? Well, and let me just comment on the phases. That's a very good point. And in my book, I break it up into three phases, part of it. So you bring up a good point. In my book, I talk about three phases. The pre-decline phase. So everything's fine. Everything's good. Life's going on. Status quo. And then the phase where their parents in decline and needs help. And then really post-death. Those are three clear phases First thing I think, if you're there and if you're living your life and everything's fine, now's the time to try and encourage your parents to have a family meeting. How do you do that? How do you approach them? It depends on their personalities. But get a, there's, there's some important things to do in this phase right now if everything's fine. Try and get a financial advisor that will conduct a family meeting. And explain to everybody what's going on, where the resources are, what happens if something happens and things like that. And I, I think with, with and planning is another important thing. Encourage your parents to make sure they've done a financial plan with a financial advisor. And the best place to go is a, you know, they could go to uh, our firm, WorthPoint, WorthPointInvest.com and talk to you. Uh, talk to me, talk to uh, any of our advisors, and just get a plan in place. The uh, second phase, the decline, there's there's a lot of different aspects to that, and for sure that's worth another uh, podcast. Uh, and same with the uh, post, post-death phase as well. So right now, in, in summary, dang, get a hold of your parents. Say, hey, let, let's have a family meeting. Let's talk about this stuff. Yeah. And uh, see if you can get a financial advisor involved and, and get a plan. I think you, those are perfect things. Likely that many of the audience is in that first group. So as a reiteration to emphasize what you said, Morgan, because it's so good. It's first, it's uh, get the courage to st- have the family conversation if you haven't already. And if needed, uh, in, you know, have a financial advisor there as a third party to explain who's on first, to maybe draw some diagrams and explain the process. And, uh, and then after that, get a plan in place for different aspects of the, the moving pieces for the family. So it's a really important information. I appreciate you sharing. Uh, before we close today, is there anything else, Morgan, that you feel like you'd wanted to bring up that we hadn't had a chance to touch on? Well, I just want to bring up the point that as I do more research on this and reach out to people and tell them what I'm doing, there's a lot of good work out there being done by people who are trying to be standard bearers for elderly and making sure they aren't taking advantage of uh, making sure families are are helped. And so I'm really encouraged um, by the work uh, that I'm getting into in this area. And it just makes me feel good about uh, the financial planning practice as a whole, uh, because when that moment comes, 
uh, it's going to really help families out uh, if they've got a plan and they've got a good professional advisor that can uh, walk them through the process. Awesome. Well, this was deep. I appreciate it, Morgan. It's so helpful though. This is one of those things that needs to be addressed. And my hope for many of the listeners is that you take to heart some of what Morgan shared and actually take action. So if you have questions for either of us, you can find us on our company site, worthpointinvest.com. And uh, you can find us there and shoot us an email. We'd love to be a resource. But uh, again, encourage you to stay vigilant and do the best thing for your family. And Morgan, can't wait to have you back on. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, John. Thanks for tuning in to The John Chapman Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. We encourage your questions, comments, and feedback. For additional information, check out thejohnchapmanshow.com or look for John on LinkedIn and Twitter. See you next week.